Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 11 of The Amber Spyglass, The Dragonflies. Take two. <laughs> Take two. I have a confession. We recorded three entire minutes of glorious podcast content while I had a dehumidifier switched on in the background, making a horrible noise before I was like, shit. <laughs> and then, then we had to start over. So that's three minutes that the world will never hear. I'll never hear it. And there was some comedy fucking gold in there as well. There was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Rich did a bad. Will we ever forgive her? I don't know. You know, it's touch and go. You're going to have to. (laughs) You're going to be stuck with me for two weeks. True. Uh, Yes, that's what we were talking about, actually. So when all you lovely listeners that are listening to this right now, me and Rachel are in California. We fucking better be. Well, well, I mean. If everything goes to plan, that is where we are. If everything goes to plan, we're in California. If not, we're each crying alone in our beds because we didn't quite make it to California and that would be very sad. (laughs) yes yeah we're in that fun awkward you're going on holiday in about a a week and a half or is it a week uh a week today we will be in san francisco oh my god oh my god yeah so anxiety dreams abound in the next few days i will be having flying anxiety dreams i will be having all the anxiety dreams i'll probably have some prom anxiety dreams everything yeah so the reason well the main reason why we're going i think we've mentioned this before is because we're going to buffer in the vampire slayers prom uh, which yes. is very exciting and it's at the high school where they filmed buffy so incredible i can't believe i get to see that with my own eyes before i die mm-hmm. yeah that was like bucket list Buffy bucket list stuff right there. So if we make it, because I am driving us down the Pacific Coast Highway and we might die. <laughs> yes. And I'm being a sneaky little freeloader who can't drive and repaying Faye and being incredibly nice to her for two whole weeks. <laughs> it's fine. It's just, I just made Rich agree that, you know, we might die and she's fine with that. So mm-hmm. I've seen Thelma and Louise. I know how this could end. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You know, I should have got you to sign like some kind of waiver, not that you need to because you'd be dead. So. <laughs> Sure, get your lawyers to get your people to send something to my people. Yes, I will. <laughs> sort it out. I will, I will, I will. But yeah, because I'm in like holiday mode, as in like the stressful part before the holiday where you're like making sure you've got everything and all that kind of shit. I don't really have anything to like update you on in this little section at the beginning. There's nothing particularly that's happened of any note. I'm pretty certain that I am going to be the most boring person in the world for approximately three well for a month in the run-up to going on holiday is all i'm going to talk about and then when i get back hopefully it's all i'm going to talk about because i've had a great time on that note any dusties any listeners that might be based in la or san francisco if you have any recommendations of dusty places to go hdme places magical places queer places we would love to hear them they're the two places we're spending the most time in and we'd love to hear from any like locals or folks that have visited a bunch where you think we should go 
especially if it's something that feels HDM relevant. We're going to go and visit some redwoods so that we can pretend to be Mary looking up at the giant seed pod trees. By this point in our holiday, I don't think we'll be in San Francisco anymore. We'll be in LA. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem with it being the future now. Yes, yeah. yeah. we'll be in LA though, so any LA. <laughs> You've got any LA recommendations? Yeah, yeah, let us know. We'll have done San Francisco. If you want to tell us where we should have gone in San Fran and can regret having not gone, don't because yes. I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah please don't do that Shit. <laughs> but yeah it's all very very exciting and just means that our lives for the next week or so are going to be a bit boring because so we don't really have much to say here because we're just preparing for a holiday i know i'm excited for something when i start having the anxiety dreams about it like that's what being an adult is the excitement for something is having anxiety dreams about it it's not even the normal excitement that you would get as like a kid it's like oh i'm anxious about this thing at this point, it's every time I have anything that's like a time-sensitive appointment, I will have an anxiety dream about it in the days running up to it. I've had it before. Every single time I've gone to get tattooed, I've had an anxiety dream about the, about either not getting there or getting there and people being mean to me or like <laughs> me just being like, I don't know, struggling and stuff. And then every time I do a convention, I will have multiple anxiety dreams about conventions. It's never the night before. It's usually like a few nights before and then on the night before I'm so tired from being exhausted from all my anxiety dreams that I actually just don't dream which is nice <laughs> yeah yeah so hopefully we'll have a nice sleep the night before <laughs> uh... <laughs> hey Faye hey what would your demon have been this week so this is a real half-assed job of a demon because I'm gonna ask for your help because I am still having this thing where like I'm not very good at picking a demon. So I was thinking I've kind of been, because like the weather's been like fucking terrible. We had like storms and stuff in the UK and I haven't really been outside much. And I'm just feeling a bit like, can't wait to be outside more in weather that's nicer, which is a good thing that we're going on holiday. Um, My like bedroom and the desk that I sit at is near like two big windows. And I was like, oh, it'd be nice to have some kind of bird demon that could like enjoy the outside for me while I'm sat at my desk. But then I was trying to think of a bird and I was like, oh. <laughs> so do you have any ideas about a bird that I could have? Do you want it to be like a water-based bird maybe maybe like a kingfisher or something because they wouldn't mind it being wet because they're they're used to like diving in the water and they're colorful and pretty yeah yeah kingfisher could be a good shout or i mean you're in london just have a pigeon i did think about a pigeon pigeon. babes i did think because it was what well i was maybe it's got to be a pigeon because while i was thinking about what kind of bird it uh, it should be there was a pigeon sat in the tree outside so yeah soggy little pigeon yeah yeah (laughs) oh what about you Again, I've I've been like in a bit of a in between spaces headspace. Uh, but do you want to know one of the most exciting things that's happening right now? Faye already knows this. Is that my parents are getting a puppy? Oh, my puppies. auntie's sheepdog had puppies. I feel like last time we recorded, I was like, the dog is pregnant. The dog has had puppies. There are eight of eight eight whole puppies, and it's very exciting. And yeah, so I've been just getting like absolutely loads of puppy spam and she is a collie. And so I think I would have an anti, like a collie, a really excited collie in anticipation of like meeting the puppy that my parents are going to have because I've just been getting spammed with like adorable puppy photos. They've all just opened their eyes. By the time you hear this, they might be walking around. Who knows? I don't know what age they start walking at, but at the moment, they're really freaking cute. Oh, they're very, very cute. 
it's too much it's too much for my heart to handle just every day I get like from my auntie or one of my cousins because my cousins that live near enough to home to visit quite often as well they're just visiting like as much as they can and spamming us with puppy photos it's so great I would do the same I'd be around that all the time if I somebody I knew had puppies eight eight puppies there's so many imagine giving birth to eight living things no thank you Mm -hmm. every time I get I usually get some pictures of the puppies and then pictures of the mom and poor Pip she just looks like somebody that's dealing with eight children right now every time her face is always just a bit exasperated (laughs) and they've set up like a little barrier in there in her little area where she's chilling with the puppies where there's like um a little barrier that's like low enough for her to step over but not for a puppy to crawl over so she can just like take herself away and have a little time to herself and (laughs) And then step back when they need feeding. Oh, bless she can have her. a fucking break. God, the, the, yeah. the life of having children is, is not for me. <laughs> puppies, however. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd have eight puppies, obviously. <laughs> and heartbeat. <laughs> so, yes, a collie, a lovely, bouncy, playful sheepdog like running around I would absolutely train him to help me with all my parcels as well and he would run he would run to the post office with me and it would be so cute yes that would be amazing that would be amazing I mean shall we get into this chapter we shall short and sweet intro last chapter Father Gomez entered Chittagatse and quizzed Angelica and Paula about Mary Lyra and the knife Mary got comfortable with the Malefa and learned more about their way of life. The rhyme. Some dickhead massive birds came and destroyed the Malefa settlement and we were livid. Absolutely livid. In this chapter, Yorick and Will arrive at the cave where Lyra is being kept and meet Amma, who tells them that Mrs Colter is keeping her in an enchanted sleep. Will speaks to Mrs Colter, who tells him why she is keeping Lyra captive. But is she telling the truth? Hello, here we are. Here we are. Hello. Inside chapter 11, the dragonflies. And it's not even really that much about dragonflies, is it? No, it's like maybe 15% dragonfly, if not less. I think less. <laughs> I think like 10% dragonfly. Yeah. Okay, so we are back with Amma. Hi, girl. She's jumping oh again, again. It's Why traditional. Do this? Fucking tell, me what the, tell me what the drawing is. Let me guess what the drawing is. Is it a dragonfly? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next. <laughs> it's just your bog standard dragonfly. Cute. Nice. Also, obviously, you're going to tell us about the quote. I like this one. I think it's a good one. Mm, it is a good one. Also, I did a little bit like I have kind of more general stuff around it as well as just the quote so get ready for snippet corner the quote is not one of the things i have up right now which is great the professionalism the professionalism so the quote that phil has picked for this is a truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent i love that and i also agree yes i love it it's perfect for this chapter as we're about to find out. It's perfect for these books. It's from a poem by William Blake called Auguries of Innocence. An augury is like a prediction. Um, so if you have ever seen The Dark Crystal, there's a character called Augra and she is like a fortune teller and that's kind of where her name is pulled from. So that's how I've remembered it. It kind of all feeds into William Blake's general vibe. Um, I'm going to read a bit from 
a classic Wikipedia snippet for you. And then I'm going to talk maybe a little bit about William Blake's life because turns out he's a super fun, spooky bitch. Um, amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So, Augury's of Innocence is a poem by William Blake from a notebook of which is now known as the Pickering Manuscript. It's assumed that he wrote it in 1803. It wasn't published until 1863, which is after he died. The poem contains a series of paradoxes which speak of innocence juxtaposed with evil and corruption. Perfect for these books, right? Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. consists of 132 lines. Um, so an augury is a sign or an omen. So there you go. It's an omen. So Blake is, I've got this from the guides.library.yale. Edu is a little bit about Blake's life. So basically, I didn't know that William Blake, I mean, because I don't know that much about William Blake generally, but it, what's really interesting to me is that he was actually quite a superstitious person that had a lot of belief, a lot of belief in um, otherworldly things. So he was born in London in 1757. From early childhood, Blake spoke of having visions. At age four, he saw God put his head into the window and at around age nine, while walking through the countryside, he saw a tree filled with angels. And although his parents tried to discourage him from lying, they did kind of notice that he was a bit different from the other kids. And so they didn't force him to attend a regular school. And instead, when they noticed at like age 10, when he they noticed he was into art, basically, they sent him to drawing school. So that's why a lot of Blake's poems are accompanied by, I think, so we spoke about Blake in the very first chapter. It was the liony poem, um, but he's quite big on his like etchings and inks and illustrations. So he went to drawing school, he began writing poetry, and then he got pulled out of school because his parents couldn't afford it anymore and he apprenticed with an engraver. Like one of his first jobs as an apprentice was to sketch the tombs at Westminster Abbey, which made him get really into like gothic styles of art. Yes. Super great. Yes, love this. Love it, love it. And that becomes an inspiration throughout the rest of his career. He got married in 1782 to an illiterate woman named Catherine Boucher, who he then taught to read and write and also how to do the tools of his trade so that she could help him run the print shop that they ran together, which is really cool. I was going to say, I was hoping that when he said illiterate woman, I was like, I hope that's going to come into the story because it's just mean to just describe her as an illiterate woman, if not. <laughs> it is. I kind of love the vibe that it's like, oh, wife, you can't read or write. I want to give this thing that I am privileged enough to have to you because I think it's quite a... He could have easily just been like, cool, you can't read or write. That's a way I can use to control you if he was going to be a dickhead husband, you know? So I love that he taught her to read and write and like help run his business, which is really cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Agreed. He... Uh, started training his younger brother, Robert, in drawing and painting and engraving as well. But Robert died in 1787, um, probably of consumption. It was the, the fashionable disease of the time. Um, but as Robert died, Blake claims he saw his brother's spirit rising up through the ceiling, clapping his hands for joy. And he believed that Robert's spirit continued to visit him and later claimed in a dream, Robert taught him the printing method that he used in Songs of Innocence and other illuminated works. Oh my God. So he's yes. just fully into having visions, being a little bit spooky. I fucking love that. Yes. yes. <laughs> so the Augury's of Innocence is kind of him pulling on a lot of his kind of spooky vibes and observations of the world, which I think is great. I just love that he's, I don't know, just he's quite a kooky character. <laughs> love it. It's great. 
And so this line is kind of one of the few lines of the poem. So you might recognise the very first line of the poem. It's the one that you will have heard quoted a lot, which is to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in the flower is to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. It's beautiful, hey? Mm. But to see the world in a grain of sand, I think, is quoted quite often. A lot of the poem is metaphors. Like, a lot of it is really metaphorical. There's some really lovely things. Um, The bat that flits at the close of Eve has left the brain that won't believe. And a robin red breast in a cage puts heaven in a rage. And it's just, like, all of these, like, odd little lines in this poem that are just, like, things are weird little contradictions are hard to get your head around, but that are really interesting. The line that... Phil has pulled is actually one of the few ones that makes the most sense and is the most understandable straight off the bat. A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent because like somebody using the truth to hurt somebody is so powerful compared to a lie because like even lies can be good sometimes like there are white lies for a reason there are you know lying to spare somebody or lying out of kindness is a thing but a truth that's told with ill intent can do so much damage. It's just really, really interesting. I hope I didn't babble through that too badly. No, it was good. I got really into enjoying that William Blake is a bit of a spooky bitch. Yeah, I'm really here for it. I'm really here for the fact that Phil chose him because I feel like Philip Pullman is quite a practical person, perhaps more than being a spiritual person in that way, especially with the way that these books are. But I guess there is a lot of mysticism in terms of like thinking about dust and, for example not too much spoileriness, but the secret commonwealth as a concept does feed into perhaps Phil does have some magical thinking that we're not giving enough credit to. I don't know. And maybe that's why he likes William Blake. Well, he he wrote these books and although they are rooted in, you know, I mean, these books are incredibly magical. Oh, absolutely. You just get the impression that he's a very, is pragmatism the right word? Like a very pragmatic person. I feel like he would like poo-poo a lot of stuff, <laughs> um, but then also enjoy writing about it. So who knows? <laughs> Okay. Well, no, I like that quote. Might be one of my faves so far. Yeah, it's a very good one. And yeah, love a bit of Blakey. And that's why I was double checking in my notes earlier, because it was the first chapter was also a William Blake quote. Nice. I think it was the first one. The Enchanted Sleeper. Yes, while the beasts of prey come from caverns deep, viewed the maid asleep. So it's the second time Phil's chosen to use Blake, which is interesting. Nice. So now we can get back to Amma. Thank but, you. Yeah. Yeah, we're back with Emma. Yeah. Um, she is heading back to the cave with food, thinking about how to rescue Lyra. Mm-hmm. She leaves the food outside the cave and then she carries on climbing up to where the rainbows are and her and her demon play a little game. It's so cute. It's very cute. Does this game spark anything for you in your memory? No, not really. Have I got a fun story? No, it's not that much of a fun story. But so the game that they're playing is that they are climbing up through what sounds like a really misty area that's like getting off spray from basically a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the impression I get. And the game is that they have to climb to the top without blinking or without wiping their eyes, yeah. not without blinking. And they get like so much spray in their face that it becomes almost impossible not to wipe your eyes. And it's like a fun game. We used to play at lunchtime at my secondary school, V, eat an entire frosted jam donut without licking your lips. Oh, <laughs> oh, game. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the sure. like powdered sugar yeah, donuts yeah, yeah, yeah. that are like covered in icing sugar proper jammy donut you're not allowed to lick your lips you've just got to eat the whole donut and if if you lick your lips you lose i hate that feeling i hate it i can't do that (laughs) game but yeah we did used to play that yeah definitely yes i mean in secondary school i was too busy like fucking smoking weed behind a bin but probably in primary school (laughs) 
Okay, I mean, that makes... I'm very innocent. She's such an innocent little baby. <laughs> Literally, it was all the way up to year 11. We would play the donut. that, though. That's better. Like, you didn't want, you didn't want my secondary school experience. <laughs> I would much rather have the donut experience. Yes. So if you two want to know what it's like to be Amma and play this game, all you need is a powdered donut yes just don't <laughs> on your lips so don't put it in your eyes yeah do not put it in your eyes <laughs> yeah um they get up to like the top it's kind of hard to like figure out where they're going but like they get up to like a ridge or something near a waterfall did we know Amma's demon's name before now i don't think so okay we uh, do now and it's kulang kulang it will be a cute. i don't know but yeah uh kulang freezes and she feels his surprise, but she, we haven't had Demon Watch in a while, and you know, I just mm. want to call that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees Yorick, and it's like, what the heck is this giant white bear doing here? What is that? I like this description of Yorick because we haven't had one for a while. Mm-hmm. As she pulled herself up to look over the edge, she gasped and fell still because looking down at her was the face of a creature she had never seen before a bear but immense, terrifying, four times the size of the brown bears in the forest, an ivory white with a black nose and black eyes and claws the length of daggers. He was only an arm's length away. She could see every separate hair on his head. And I don't know, like, maybe it's just been a long time since we've had a description of Yorick, but four times the size of a brown bear. It's fucking massive. Mm-hmm. He big. He big. He beefy. Yeah, he, <laughs> he changes size suiting whatever Phil has decided he needs to do. Yeah. TBH. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, um, that always makes me think of on Buffy when like, you know, one second Angel could knock down a steel door and then the next second he can't even fucking get up when there's like a plank of wood laid on top of him. It's like, hmm. Convenient. Mm. <laughs> Angel can't do CPR, but he can blow out a candle. <laughs> Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. So Amma then hears Will and sees him and notes immediately his strange demon, which obviously we know is Balthamos. Yes. I think there's a really cute bit where Hulang turns into a butterfly and lands on her cheek, which is very cute. Yeah, very cute. Mm-hmm. I liked that image. Also, it says that um, Balthamos is just like perched on Will's hand. So does this mean that Will's like stood? With his hand out, like maybe he's like I think like falconry glove wise like this, and you would have him perched there. And again, this is not? an audio podcast. Yeah, we're all doing. We're, we're all like there's more than two of us. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Ooh. you're spookier than you yeah, think. Maybe are there ghosts around me? Oh my God, <laughs> um, we're doing different things with our hands. Like, but wouldn't he just like sit on his shoulder so that Will wouldn't have to put his arm out? Don't know. Weird. Depends if it's more like friendly to have your demon a bit further out to communicate or whatever yeah <laughs> perch, perch you're doing a thumbs up and then the bear's just perched on top of the thumb yeah. so she's scared of will and it kind of says because of his wound but i kind of get the impression that she that's not the only reason that she's scared of him because i feel like we've had descriptions before of people saying that right like of mm. people meeting will and and like uh, what didn't seraphina or the witches were the like, witches found him unnerving yeah. yeah so i wonder if there's something else in that rather than just her being scared of his wound i think he has like a certain level of intensity about him that yeah also then suddenly realizing he's missing two fingers might add to that level of intensity mm. <laughs> Also, yeah. I really relate to that thing of like when you see how somebody's hurt themselves, um, especially if it's still quite fresh and then it kind of makes you feel a bit like dizzy and gives you like a little stomach lurch moment. And you're like, Ooh. yeah. Uh, Yorick calls himself in the stream. I thought we just had oh. to call that out. 
I love all of the little they're all peppered through here of like Yorick is not at home here yeah like when he he sticks his belly in the stream to cool down and then he like sits on a pile of snow when he finds it like oh sweet sweet snow yeah 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 like Um, a big Labrador on a cooling blanket in summer yes (laughs) and then Balthamos and Kulang have a fly and a chat because obviously Amma and Will don't speak the same language so there's some like translation issues here. They're they're looking for Lyra. They tell Amma this, and she's like, "I know, I know where the sleeping girl is." What a great coincidence that not only have they found somebody feet away from the cave that knows exactly what the situation is, yeah. but also went and got the cure yeah. and is happy to hand it over. <laughs> She is the deus ex machina of this moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, yes. completely, 100%. So Will then calls for Yorick and tells him to keep watch while he goes with Amma to the cave. And they walk over the rocks and then Amma points and they see Mrs. Coulter. And then we get this like description of Mrs. Coulter looking domestic. Yeah. And I... I have like some issues with the way that Mrs. Coulter is described in this chapter. It's particularly male gazy, I think, mm-hmm. um, in a sense of that just because she now wants to be Lyra's mother, also we think, also we've been told by her, that suddenly means that she has to be domestic. Like, does that mean that all mothers have to be domestic? Like, why is this now a thing? Do you know what I mean? It's like, why does that have to yeah. be linked? I just love that she's living in a cave, but she's like but it needs to be clean. I'm going to sweep the floor with a branch. I mean, I would do the same thing. It re- reminds me of my friend whose mum would occasionally in the summer, if it was particularly dry and they'd been spending a lot of time in the garden, she would hoover the grass in the garden. Oh my God. Yeah. Incredible. I love it. It's it's like, yes, because they only had like quite a small, very neat little garden and it just, it made it made sense and it made her happy. So why why the Go heck not? It. But like, it's, it's such an image. Go for it. Love that. Yeah. But that's Mrs. Coltis sweeping this cave right now. I'm just like, you're in a cave, babes. It's probably going to be a bit dusty. Like, unless you've made a mess and then I understand. Mm. But I, the descriptions in this chapter are interesting because they're definitely from Will's point of view and there is a certain level of discomfort attached to them that I think yeah. is quite deliberate. Yeah. Or I hope is deliberate to make you feel uncomfortable as opposed to just supposed to be on board with this. <laughs> yeah, and like, there's like a little bit here where like... So LMP appears. Obviously, we know it's a little monkey prick. It's in his name. But then suddenly Mrs. Coulter doesn't look so domestic anymore. And like, part of that is obviously because there's a there's an intensity and a cruelty associated with the monkey especially but also the monkey is the male side of Mrs. Coulter. And like now that the male side of Mrs. Coulter has appeared, she suddenly doesn't look as domestic anymore. Sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes, it is absolutely not something I picked up on, but I love that you've found that. <laughs> um, basically, I'm struggling to formulate words on it because I hadn't really thought of it that way. I mean, whatever, but yeah, that's what I thought. That Those are my thoughts. And that's what I thought. And that's what I thought. Uh, Emma mentions that LMP tears the wings off bats as if we hadn't had time to get over that trauma. We haven't. <laughs> yeah. I'm thanks. still feeling it. Yeah. Poor bats. And Will asks if there's anyone else here or any soldiers. And Emma says she doesn't know. People talked about strange and frightening people they've seen that might have been ghosts, but everyone knows the caves are haunted, so it's fine. And I was wondering, could it be spectres? Hmm. 
Hmm, maybe because I was just going to say what I literally my note is what's going on here. Do we have to pop a pin in this? Is something going to happen here? I think we pop a pin in it. And my theory, despite having read the books many times, I literally don't have a clue whether I'm right or not because it's, I am a sieve. Um, yeah, I could. It could be spectres. It could be that she's having chats with spectres and people are seeing the forms and assuming it's a ghost because it's insubstantial. Wait, what world are we in? We're in Lyra's world. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Coulter couldn't have brought some spectres with her. True, true. We know that she could control them, so is it like protection? Yeah. Because like we know, yeah, we know she can control them, so that was my thought as to like why yeah. they would be there. Yeah. But also who who knows? Yeah. I I know we're not quite there yet, but there's a bit here where Will I kinda like Will's very confident thought process during this chapter where he's like, well, thought Will, if Lyra's in the cave and Mrs. Coulter doesn't leave it, I'll have to go and pay a call. But then the other side of me is like, what the fuck is Will's logic to just go walk up to the cave and go to Mrs. Coulter? Go at night. Like, he has the plan later where he's going to go at night. So just go at night. Why isn't that plan A? Yeah. I guess he needs to see the cave, right? To know where to cut inside it. Yeah, but like the fact that he just walks straight up there... It's such a weird move. It really is. Like, he could have snuck up and been literally anywhere. He could absolutely go into whatever adjacent world he wants to and cut a tiny little peephole a little bit at a time and peep his way along, like, you know, be like, oh, I think I can go 10 metres forward and then cut another hole and, like, work it out that way rather than... Yeah. It's also very unlike Will because he's very cautious. It's a very Lyra move to mm. just stride in and be like, I'm going to have a chat. Like, what? Very, very <laughs> strange. Very strange for Will. Because also he's like, oh, he he knew that the, the maybe the same plan that he had in Oxford wouldn't work again. And then the plan that he makes is the exact same plan that he had to get the alethiometer back in Oxford, but with a Lyra. Yeah, exactly. Like, literally, there's only one plan with the knife. That's all you can do. <laughs> It's very strange. So he asks Amma about the like medicine, potion, whatever you want to call it, and how to use it. And he tells her to wait where she is and not tell Mrs. Coulter that she's seen them and bring the potion when she next brings food, which is in the evening. There's a good description here of like Will's nervousness, and I think it's a good description of how I, I know I feel, and I'm sure other people do when uh, they experience anxiety. All his senses seemed to be clarified so that he was aware of the tiniest insects drifting in the sun shafts and the rustle of every leaf and the movement of the clouds above. Even his eyes never left the cave mouth. I just think when, especially when I'm anxious, I fucking notice every tiny little thing and it's incredibly like unnerving. Mm. A bit of like overwhelm at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I really like this next bit because we get a little bit of sassy Balthamos back. We do. Yay. Will says, Balthamos, keep close to me and watch that monkey. And then Balthamos says, then look to your right, said Balthamos tersely. Yay. <laughs> just to- watch out for that monkey. What, that monkey? Yeah. You mean that one, actually? <laughs> what, that, that one there. right there? It's just like, can you not see it? Like, <laughs> that one that's been staring at you for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> and so Will's like, okay, fine. I guess if the monkey's seen me, we're definitely doing this. Yeah. And carries on. And we get a little description here of Mrs. Coulter, of Will's first impression of Mrs. Coulter, or second impression, in that he did see a glimpse of her back in Oxford. Um, And I'm just going to put it out there. Phil's got a real thing for, like, some 
yodery grammar in this chapter. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. I actually don't think I did, but I'm, I'm ready for you to tell me about it. Well, when he reached the cave, the woman was waiting for him. She was sitting at her ease in a little canvas chair with a book on her lap, watching him calmly. She was wearing traveller's clothes of khaki, but so well were they cut and so graceful was her figure <laughs> that they looked like the highest height of fashion. Oh my God. <laughs> and the little spray of red blossom she'd pinned to her shirt looked like the most elegant of jewels. Oh my God. And there's a bit later on where I can't remember what, uh, which note did I put? And I was like, it's just Yoda. Phil is like really into the Yoda speak. Oh my God, your Yoda impression. I fucking love it. <laughs> this description made me think and appreciate how well they dressed her in the TV show. Like they followed that exactly, apart from the fact that obviously she's wearing a skirt in the book because oh, women can't wear trousers. Yeah. Because it says that she's got her legs out. So I assume she's wearing a skirt. But yeah, they dressed her so well in the TV show. I think she even has the red bit of like blossom pinned to her, I think in the show Aww. can't remember for sure classic imprinting what you've just read onto what you think you remember as well right oh yeah not, totally, because totally. i love that that's what everything becomes when i've watched a tv show and read a book i love it i love that she's like yeah high fashion safari high fashion uh indiana jones yeah yeah it's the vibe i'm mm-hmm. here for it yeah oh there's a there's a bit here that again just this whole like language I don't know if male gaze is the right term, but you can tell it's been written by a fucking man. She smiled. Will very nearly smiled in response because he was so unused to the sweetness and gentleness a woman could put into a smile. And it unsettled him. And it's like, it's very strange. I'm not a fan. So I'm really intrigued to kind of get into this in terms of is phil writing things in this way because it's part of mrs coulter's character we've seen her being this slightly intoxicating person whether it's being very warm and alluring to children in terms of being something bright and sparkly and exciting that they want to follow or whether it is seducing boreal is this some kind of phil trying to be like it's mrs coulter's spell it's falling on will like she's just that little bit on the edge of us being like but is she maybe slightly supernatural we don't know or is it phil being like "Mm, will's a teenage boy and he's getting a little bit more teenage boy and he's noticing women more because Mm. of that and like is it a raging teenage hormone situation yeah so the whole like magical mrs coulter thing that was done much better in northern lights the way that it was described this this is giving me this gives me like bad vibes in a sense of that like oh oh my god she's so beautiful and alluring how can i possibly control myself around her do you know like blaming it on the woman instead of the inability of a man to control himself that's the vibe that i'm getting from the way that this is written not that we have any instance of will not controlling himself but obviously he feels disturbed he feels unsettled like all these words and the i I just don't like the way that this in this chapter in particular is written for that reason part of me wonders whether it's that phil trying to apply the same mrs coulter magic to Will and being like, but what does Will want? He's not a child and he's not a grown man. It is skirting that line between is she flirting or is she being friendly? Is she laying it on in terms of like, Mm -hmm. I'm so maternal and you want to come and be my child and follow me wherever I go? Or is it, I'm flirting with you? And Phil doesn't know because Will is that age where he's like, he doesn't know what he wants and we don't know. Or is it not? I don't think that Mrs. Coulter is flirting with Will. I think like it's on Will, it's not on her. Like 
everything we've seen of her mm. before is on her massively but i think this chapter and i'm still like you know i'm still we're all unsure about whether she's being honest about what she's saying but i don't think she's like trying to entice will in any way i think she's actually talking to him as an equal and i think he is reading into it because he clearly has a crush on her it's very yeah. fucking stacy's mom that's what it reminded me of yeah it's that and it is that like okay so is it just raging teenage boy hormones has he just got a crush on anyone with a good rack like (laughs) is that it (laughs) i don't know (laughs) he's not we've not seen him interact with any other women basically that aren't like children his age or younger so i do think that it's more that vibe but i don't like the way that it's written um, I think you could write a teenage boy crush way better without the implication being on the woman. Like, I just don't. I oh, don't no. Like that. And it's, there's levels of creep within what's been written that kind of remove me from the narrative in a lot of ways because yeah. it, it makes me go, well, this doesn't feel like it's from Will's point of view. Like, this doesn't feel right for Will to be yeah. thinking this. Like, that's not the Will that I know. Yeah. 100%. And is that Phil trying to get us to question that? I don't know. It's, it feels, what's the word, like incongruous? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's got a big word. <laughs> she does. <laughs> With what I, what I want to be reading. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, okay, so Mrs. Coulter knows that he's Will because Lyra says his name in her sleep. So she just makes a jump, I know, I know, to assume that it's him. Then we get a a monkey description, which we haven't had in a while. For the first time since coming into our presence, uh, Will looked at the monkey demon. His fur was long and lustrous, each hair seeming to be made of pure gold, much finer than a human's, and his little face and hands were black. Will had seen, last seen that face contorted with hair on the evening when he and Lyra stole the alethiometer back from Charles Latram in the house in Oxford. I'm not going to read anymore because it's just like exposition from the last book. But we haven't had a little description. I keep forgetting that he's got like little black face and black hands because he doesn't have... Does he have that on the TV show? His face is blue in the TV blue. show and his blue. hands are hairy, but I think his yeah. palms are quite dark. I think they're like a dark brown on his palms and then his yeah. face is blue. So... Yes, love a monkey description. My note on um, another bit of Yoda speech <laughs> is um, uh, it was about, not about Mrs. Coulter, but about Lyra. And there she was, his dearest friend, asleep. So small she looked. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's fine grammatically. It's just anytime I read something like that, I'm like, is it German or is it Yoda? Because it could be Why either. Why have I not noticed this? It's so hilarious. small she looked. <laughs> Oh, but God. yeah, Will sees Lyra, bless yeah. his heart, like, yeah. oh. and she's just, she's sleepy and pans curled up around her neck, just like when Anna saw her. It's an absolute move from Mrs. Coulter to be like, come and see her. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. I really like Mrs. Coulter in this chapter, actually. Like, I think that... I love, I fucking love the um, uncertainty of whether she's telling the truth and why she's saying all this stuff to Will. And mm-hmm. and I just fucking love it. And I also like completely agree with Will in the sense that the bit where he's like, she sounded so kindly and there was such a sad wis- wisdom in her eyes that Will's mistrust deepened. Like those kind of things, like escaping on the line that I mentioned earlier about it, you know, the, I'm not going to get back into it. But also I, I agree with this because it's like, I don't, seeing Mrs. Coulter, knowing, Will knowing what she's done before as well. You're just like, how can we believe you now? Why Why should we believe you now? 
it's kind of like boy who cried wolf vibes except for it's like woman who has been consistently evil and tortured children vibes suddenly showing up with all this like maternal instinct and like sincerity it's like when someone's been so insincere for so long like how are you supposed to trust that sincerity there's a there's like a bit of line like a sentence here that i feel like could be some kind of like fucking bullet for my valentine lyric or something so <laughs> he felt that every word she said was a lie every action concealed a threat and every smile was a mask of deceit i feel like that could be a song lyric for sure yeah absolutely i'm trying i'm literally trying to think of it now like <laughs> Yeah. What would be the band that sings it? Would it be Threat of Sepsis? I don't know. I think it would be Threat of Sepsis. They look like they would have, like Threat of Sepsis, the, the name of that band sounds like they would have some beef with women at least. So I think we'd give it to them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I do like Will's confidence in this chapter and this bit where he's basically like, well, if she's trying to deceive me, I'll just fucking deceive her because I can deceive anyone because I've done it loads of times before. It's kind of like, oh yeah, Will. And then it's like, oh, that's really sad actually. Yeah. He's been preparing for it all his life. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. no. But also, Will and Lyra, lying queens. Woo. (laughs) They're both so good at the lying. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Also, I don't think he actually does a very good job. (laughs) No. I love this, like, tense conversation between them that they have. And we don't need to get into all of it because it's, you know, a lot of it is repeating stuff because we need to, we're in a new book. We need to know what's happening. But I really do love the bit where she asks him if he has the knife and she says it sounds fascinating may i see it and he says no of course not <laughs> i love that no of course not of course not why the fuck would i let you see the yeah. knife <laughs> also him being like oh so charles told you that and she's like sir charles oh carlo of course <laughs> <laughs> also i think um this but this next bit was the bit where i was it was clear to me that Will was going to have a thing for Mrs. Coulter, where it says, Well, she said, and set her beaker down on the ground, leaning forward so that her hair swung down on either side of her face. When she sat up again, she tucked it back behind her ears with both hands, and Will smelt, smelt the fragrance of some scent she was wearing, combined with the fresh smell of her body, and he felt disturbed. It's so weird. It's so weird. Are we blaming a woman for having skin that smells? She's been living in a cave, mate. It's not going to be a great smell. And if it is a great smell, fucking kudos to her. Like, for it's still smelling great when she's been living in a cave. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's that thing that, you know, is really obvious in, in literature when somebody, and, and just in life, when you have a crush or whatever you want to call this infatuation that Will has with Miss Coulter, you notice things about them. So he's like, the fact that, ooh, she leant forward and her hair fell forward and then she put it back behind her ears and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, like, the little bits like that, you're just like, oh, Will, there's something going on with Will. Mm. Yeah. Um, in the same way that you're like questioning her sincerity in terms of like if she is being insincere and he's questioning everything he has every right to if she is being deliberately seductive and he's feeling a bit disturbed by it he has every right to feel disturbed if it is she's genuinely being incredibly sincere for the first time in her fucking life and he's not believing her and also she is genuinely just fucking existing well exactly and then being sexualized like you can see it from both yes both sides but more so on the sincerity one than on the like objectification I don't even really see it from the the seductive side. I don't get, what is she doing to be seductive? She's put a fucking hair behind her ears. Literally nothing, right? (laughs) 
She put a fucking hair behind exactly what you just said about her literally existing and then being objectified. That is what is happening here. Like she's not we've had descriptions of Coulter before where she is so blatantly, deliberately laying it on. Laying it on. <laughs> yeah. And she is not doing that. She is mm. just existing. Like and I don't I don't like it. Sorry, sometimes I just exist and I'm also hot. I can't help it. <laughs> Rich, I have this issue every day. I cannot every help day. it that I'm alive and I'm hot, all right? Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I genuinely feel for her because yeah, she's just existing and telling the truth and she's just getting misinterpreted on every single fucking angle. It must be the most yeah. frustrating existence. Yeah, I mean like 100%. And like, this is a the thing. There are two sides to this, right? There's the there's the sexualization, the objectification that I'm so on call to side with. I think, I think she's clearly just existing existing and she's being objectified the other side of it is the things that she's saying and then that's where i'm like well is she telling the truth mm-hmm. we don't know and there's no way for us to know yeah so she does give a very accurate statement to will of what the situation is which is yeah. you know she has kidnapped lyra in order to hide from the church and mm-hmm. she has given a lot given up a lot in order to do that we do get that impression she's literally living in a cave mm-hmm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she kind of explains what's going on but the thing that we don't will can't be certain about is like what her actual intentions are with lyra like she says it's just to keep lyra safe but is it to keep lyra safe for a other alter ulterior yeah. motive is it for a further purpose that cult is not sharing or is it genuinely this maternal instinct that she's claiming yeah and telling will about and I guess we're all questioning it as readers as well. We don't know for certain. Yeah. It says that she tried to save her three times before. What were they? Taking her to London from Oxford. Bolvanger? Rescuing her from Bolvanger. Yeah. And now, does this one count? Is she counting this one? Is there a situation that we don't know about from between like her trying to get her back as a baby that we don't know about or that we might know about, but that we can't talk I about? Know. I don't know. I can't remember. Or is it she counting this time yeah. as well? But then that wouldn't three. be three times before. Three that times would be before. two times before yeah. and then now. <laughs> yeah, true. This is true. the third time. <laughs> if you can remember, let us know because... Yeah, do. I can't. Tweet us. We are goldfish memories. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So there's a bit here, which is, again, it's a great paragraph, a great like bit of dialogue from Mrs. Coulter. And it's like, is she desperate or is it just a ruse? A ruse. A ruse. <laughs> uh why am I telling you this? Can I trust you? I think I have to. I can't escape anymore. There's nowhere else to go. And if you're a friend of Lyra's, you might be my friend too. And I do need friends. I do need help. Everyone's against me now. The church will destroy me too, as well as Lyra, if they find us. I'm alone, Will. Just me in a cave with my daughter. And all the forces of all the worlds are trying to track us down. And there, and here you are to show, to show how easy it is to find us, apparently. What are you going to do, Will? What do you want? And we've never had anything like that from Coulter before. It's like a a loss of that poise. Yeah. But is it calculated or is it mm-hmm. genuine? We don't yeah, know. exactly. <sighs> yeah, exactly. And like Will just continuously ignores her and asks his own questions, which like I don't blame him as a tactic because he's thinking exactly like we're thinking. And he's like, well, yeah. is this deliberate? But also this tactic that he's got of like, I'm just not going to answer her questions. I'm going to ask my own questions and I'm going to be r- pretty fucking blunt, to be honest. 
isn't doing what I think he thinks it's doing. I think he thinks he's employing his like, this is how I got past social services and stuff. And yeah. and the police and all of the interactions I had in my world. And it's like, it, you're not really endearing yourself to her though. Like you're coming off as being stubborn and blunt and like you've got something to hide. Like Yeah. And also this conversation's going nowhere because like there's no forward movement because questions are not being answered. Yeah. Um, he's like, why are you keeping her asleep? And she's like, well, duh. <laughs> Because she fucking hates me and she'd try and escape yeah. if she was awake. Even if yeah. I did explain it to her, I'm a big fat liar and she'd never believe me. Like, why do you need to ask Will? Yeah, exactly. Will is not happy about Mrs. Coulter mentioning his mum at all. Yeah, he feels rage and then we feel sad. Yes, yeah. So Will felt a jolt of shock and rage that Mrs. Coulter had dared to bring his own mother in to support her argument. Then the first shock was complicated by the thought that his mother, after all, had not protected him. He had had to protect her. Did Mrs. Coulter love Lyra Lyra more than Elaine Parry loved him? But that was unfair. His mother wasn't well. It is unfair. His mother isn't well, but... Oh, the fact that that's what went through Will's head is so sad. I know, I know. And, you know, like, it's exactly... Of course you would have those thoughts, you know? Like, as a child who feels that they haven't been looked after by their own mother and uh, to no fault of her own. Mm -hmm. But then when, you know, he sees a mother doing what she can to protect a child, I mean, obviously we don't know the reasons behind that yet. It, it will obviously trigger something in him. And he for sure feels guilty for thinking that. Like, I'm sure it's one of those thoughts where you have that thought and then you feel guilty for having had that thought. And yeah. it, whilst it might have been a calculated move for Mrs. Coulter to mention his mother to pull on those heartstrings, she definitely doesn't know. The, unless Boreal told her a bunch yeah. more stuff than we know he did, she doesn't necessarily know that that's not hit the case for him. Yeah. It gets kind of interesting here. This is where Will starts to compare Mrs. Coulter to Lyra. Uh, she says, either Mrs. Coulter did not know the boil of feelings that her simple words had lanced, or she was monstrously clever. Her beautiful eyes watched mildly as Will reddened and shifted uncomfortably. And for a moment, Mrs. Coulter looked uncannily like her daughter. Mm. Do not love it. Mm. And again, this is the move that I'm like, Will, if you don't think this is suspicious you're being really naive because she's like, what are you going to do now? And he's like, oh, well, I've seen Lyra now and she's alive. So uh, I guess I'll go and help Asriel. Bye. <laughs> and Coulter's like, oh, uh, I I've, I thought you might offer to help us. That would have been the least suspicious thing you could have done. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to do the most suspicious thing. Uh, like, yeah, goodbye. No further questions. She's I'm literally off. like, suggests the plan that he's about to do. She's like, oh, I thought maybe you could cut through to a world where like they can't catch us and uh, we could we could escape using your knife. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go find Asriel. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's very strange. Couldn't you help us? I'm going to go now. And he just stands up and leaves. Very <laughs> weird. Very weird. He's like, goodbye. He says, goodbye. It's just, uh, and then he turns into a robot, I guess. Yeah. Sure. I do like the, when he's like, because she shows a bit of like, okay, so what I think Coulter would describe as a weakness by being like, oh, well, I thought like you might help us. Like, would you, are you not going to stay and help? Like, whether it's calculated or not, I think in Coulter's brain, asking for help is a sign of weakness. And then he says, I'm going to go now. And I, I do like her kind of like dealing with that defeat and basically just being like, she held out her hand, a rueful, a rueful smile, a shrug and, not, and a nod as if to a skillful opponent who'd made a good move at the chessboard. 
she's like, okay, yeah, I see your move and I accept it. I'm not going to like fucking beg you to stay or anything. See you later. Mm. But then also like her and the monkey like share a look that he yeah. can't really understand. And it's definitely them being like, that boy is super suspicious, hey? And the monkey's like, yeah. Yeah, he's going to come back <laughs> in the night, surely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, he's definitely going to come back and try and pull the exact same shit he did in Oxford. <laughs> so Will does leave then. So he goes back to Yorick and Balthamor. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, this is a very interesting bit uh, where Balthamos says, you were foolish to go to her. All, all you want to do now is see her again. And at first I thought he meant Lyra. Do you want to know what's interesting? In So in my book, it is exactly the same. In the audiobook, he says, you were foolish to go to her. All you want to do now is see the woman again. Ooh. It's clarified in the audiobook. Interesting. Interesting. I thought that Phil had done it deliberately mm. to make you think at first that he meant Lyra. Which is absolutely what I did think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's cleverer. Like, I I kind of don't like that they clarified it in the audiobook. I kind of like the ambiguity of it at first. And then the realisation as I read it, you're like, oh, fuck, they mean Coulter. Mm. Yeah. And and the fact that, like, Yorick growls in agreement with Balthamos and Will think, at first thinks that he's growling because Balthamos is wrong. And then he's like, he gets really embarrassed. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, I like this. Mm. I, I do like this. I don't love it, but it's well written. <laughs> Into, it's well yeah. it's well written. Yeah, exactly. And this bit here, so it says he had been captivated by Mrs. Coulter. All his thoughts referred to her. When he thought of Lyra, it was to wonder how like her mother she'd been when she grew up. If he thought of the church, it was to wonder how many of the priests and cardinals were under her spell. If he thought of his own dead father, it was to wonder whether he would have detested or admired her. And if he thought of his own mother, and then we get like a dot, 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 and he doesn't obviously want to think about his mum. But this is such a well-written description of complete infatuation. Mm. Like being in a situation where you are so obsessed with someone that whatever you think of, you relate back to them. Like, no matter how personal it is to you, like, Will's thinking about his own parents and relating it back to her. And I, it's just such a well-written description of that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hate it. It feeds into my, is it in any way supernatural thing later on, when it says, there is no doubt about it, Balthamos was right. The woman had cast a spell on him. It was pleasant and tempting to think about those beautiful eyes and the sweetness of that voice and to recall the way her arms rose to push back that shining hair. And it's like, mm, it, again, metaphorical spell? Is it? Is it just the spell of love and having a crush? Or is it a bit more of like a, there's something extra here? I mean, it's a woman with arms. It is literally a woman with some arms, you know, with arms. Using it to push back her hair. <laughs> She's just existing in the world with hair that needs pushing out your face. <laughs> yep. <laughs> fair, fair. Because, yeah, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, you're right. Is it a spell? But it's that same thing of like, or are we demonising women for existing and being sexualized by yeah, others just... or by themselves? <laughs> exactly. I just can't move away from that. I just really think that it's just that. Um, and if Phil meant it to be the other way, then I don't think he's written it very well. Because I just... He's written it well in the, in the past and he just hasn't done it this time, um, if that was the intention. But I'm just very much like exactly what you just said. Stop demonising women for fucking existing. Yeah, part of me is just like, is it just that very 
what the, what was the film? It's just like a very like movie trope, film trope thing of just like, is it just a trope of like, he's just a horny teenage boy who has a crush and therefore is obsessed. And it's like, ha ha ha, isn't it funny? Because he's a horny teenage boy with a crush. And it's that classic thing of they do it in movies all the time. I can't remember what the film is. Is it Weird Science? Where the kid like designs his dream woman on a computer and like, she gets printed out yeah I think it's weird science yeah and that's really weird because it's like you are a literal teenager and you have made albeit a manufactured but like a full grown ass woman and it's weird that this is the crush yeah isn't that Debbie Harry from Blondies I think it is yeah 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 Yeah. and things like that there's so many things like that where it's like it's the joke is this teenage boy is infatuated with an adult woman and that joke no longer plays well. It's a very 90s joke. And I wonder yeah. if that's kind of what's kind of the okayness here. Yeah. Is we're not I reading it like... as okay. We're like, this feels mm. icky. And it actually, it kind of would have just passed to the point at which it was written. And it just felt like a normal thing. She'd be like, yeah, he's just a teenage boy with a crush. But I feel like there's something more sinister to it. Because... Yeah. The language that's used around him, like being disturbed and unsettled by it. Mm-hmm. I understand that, like, you know, when you're younger and like first crushes, you can get those like complicated feelings. But I think because it's coming from Will, who's very emotionally intelligent, who's also been read by other people for being, you know, quite unsettling himself. Like, there's just something about it that feels yeah more sinister than just it being a teenage boy with a crush. And this is the thing, though, if it is just Phil writing that way, he's doing the exact thing that he is calling out the Magisterium for when he writes the character that says all the bullshit about witches stealing seed and using yeah. their lusty ways or whatever. And it's like, yeah. is he... Is Philip Paul and slut-shaming Mrs. Coulter? Is that what's happening? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it's getting, it's heading that way, I feel. Like, that's quite I an feel. extreme way of putting it, but yeah. it's kind of like, is he kind of pulling a mild version of the bullshit that he was getting the Magisterium to pull? Yeah. A chapter ago, two chapters ago, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Isn't it fun when things are really tricky and we can't put our finger on it? <laughs> so he leaves. Mm-hmm. He's gone. He goes. He doesn't look for Amma, even though he, said he told us to stay where she was. I don't know if it's just that She's not due to be back yet. But didn't he say, stay stay here and I'll go to the cave? I thought he said, I'll go to the cave. You go home and get the stuff and come back at the at the time when you would usually come back and I'll meet you then. Oh, he says, all right, wait here and don't come near. So he's like, oh, she's not there. I'm just going to go. <laughs> Poor Emma. <laughs> I know, bless her. Bless her heart. They hear something and it's like a droning noise. And Yorick looks up and he's like, Zeppelins. And we know that there's airships coming. And Yorick can see the bear because he has brilliant bear eyes and he can see that there's eight of them and that they will be here soon. So basically the magical narrative device that is putting a timer on things has just been put into place. (laughs) We have until just after nightfall. Yes, we do. We do. And basically Will explains the plan. And the plan is exactly the same as the plan that they had in Oxford. He is going to make an opening and take Lyra into another world and close it up again before Mrs. Coulter can follow. He just ropes Amma into it. He's like, oh, she explained it, but I didn't understand. So she's going to have to come with me. (laughs) Like, okay, okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of ropes Yorick and Balthamos into help. And then we shift and we're in the last little 10% of the of the book, of the chapter, which is why it's called Dragonflies with Chevy and, and Sally. Yes. Also, like, so 
their dragonflies are hatching and the descriptions really make me feel a bit sick. I have watched too many videos of like time-lapse videos of like lunar moths and atlas moths like coming out of there. I'm sorry, I know you hate moths. It's really interesting. Like it's really pretty because they come out and they're all just like a sad little prune and then they like magically inflate their wings and they have to like dry dry out. Obviously they've got much bigger wings than a dragonfly. I'm so sorry, this is grossing you out so much. They're really cool videos if you like that kind of thing. It's not one that I could watch a lot, which is so weird because you like watching like pimple popping videos and stuff, but like bug videos are too much. Yeah, not a fan of bug videos, but I will watch (laughs) any kind of pimple spot or cyst being popped. Send that my way. Oh God, don't say that. You'll get sent some right (laughs) shit. (laughs) um but yeah the descriptions of like uh the lady salmachia bent over the splitting cocoon of the electric blue one easing the damp filmy wings clear taking care to let her face be the first thing that imprinted itself on the many faceted eyes soothing the fine stretched nerves whispering its name to the brilliant creature teaching it who it was it's all just a bit weird it's a bit like excessively sensual isn't it (laughs) yeah it really is. It really. But is. he's already explained they have a very strong bond. I um, know. Yeah, I know. like. I, it makes sense though. Like, I think it's a really cool part of the Galavaspian society that they have these dragonfly season that they have to like form this bond with them the moment they're hatched in order to have the like you know this steed rider bond. It's mm. a very like fantasy novel thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's just a bit too much. Like, I don't mind the fact that they have a bond, but God. don't tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, but there's a bit later where like fucking Chevy says that it like licked like fucking Tessie's skin or something. I'm just a bit like, ew. Yeah, yeah. It's also that classic like Phil being like, "Oh, they're so different from us. This is how they yeah. do things, isn't it? Fun, but it's different. <laughs> so fun." My one of my favorite parts of this is the lodestone resonator. And the way that it's been described is like as like a little bow and a st- mm-hmm. and a stone kind of situation, which would make you think, oh, how are they communicating? Is it going to be super simple, like telegram style? Is it going to be Morse code style? Is it going to be walkie talkie style where you keep it simple and use like short sentences? No, no. It's like an Austin love letter, actually. <laughs> it really is. It's so it's long. It's so long. There is so much like excess sentence that could be yeah. compressed if you were trying to send like fast messages but that's not how the Galavespians work they send ostentatious <laughs> lodestone resonator communications <laughs> this is like how my granddad used to send texts yes. like dfa <laughs> <laughs> paragraph full stop yeah. <laughs> so basically what they're saying in this is that so the ccd are sending a squad into the cave as soon as they get there to chop off lyra's head the institutions of philip pullman's world of lyra's world love a beheading as proof of death mm. that's what Azriel yep. did when he brought grumman's head in in that ice block it's all about the beheadings yeah and they want to capture colter um but if they can't they can kill her as well and then this there's a who cares apparently they don't the second unit is to capture the boy alive then the rest of the force are going to go to uh, King of Gunway and get rid of that yeah basically get rid of them and then they get one wait hang on yeah they get one back from Chevy which straight away which is basic, basically like actually you and the ladies, uh, Lady Salmachia are to go to the boy and protect the boy do whatever the boy wants he has the knife yeah go to him now basically and this is the thing you would expect a communication like that has just been like understood over and out. Yeah. You know, your message is heard and understood. The lady and I shall leave at once. 
yours faithfully, your ever servant, <laughs> Chevalier Achilles. <laughs> like, it's proper. I love it. I'm so obsessed with it. Also, the fact that it's just like, to Lord Roke. It's like a birthday card. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the Chevalier Achilles. Many happy returns. Then Chevy's dragonfly's hatching, and then this is where we... So, stroking its fierce, great fierce head. <laughs> you hate it, but you will read out the quote. <laughs> always. I always. <laughs> he lifted the heavy antennae, still moist and curled, and let the creature taste the flavour of his skin until it was entirely <laughs> under his command. Just a bit about it being entirely under his command as well. I can't deal with that. It's gross. It's gross. Sure. <laughs> I also don't like the bit about the fact that Phil makes sure to mention after they put like the harnesses on them and stuff, they were, it would wear the harness till it died. That's so sad. Mm. Yeah, it so seems sad. like quite a one way. It's not as symbiotic a relationship no. as like the Malefa in the trees is. Like, I don't know what the dragonflies are getting from this other than like, hopefully good food. I mean, we're, at least Will's about to get two pretty powerful friends, mm-hmm. you know? Because um, then they cut a hole in the side of the zeppelin and they fly off. And then that that's it. That's the end of the chapter. Do you want to the next chapter's called? Yes. The Break. Please let it be the chapter where we break out Lyra. Please, for the love of God. Would be nice. How many chapters in? Is it chapter 12? 12. That's not yeah. too bad. I mean, it's quite a lot of chapters to have not had any Lyra. I'm so excited for her to be back. I'm going to be chatting. Oh, yeah, she's just going to win my award like every week. Oh, Except yeah. for she's definitely not because she's going to pull out some classic Lyra bullshit almost oh, immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> certain of it. I don't know, but I'm certain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of awards, do you have one to give out? Uh, my award this week is for Emma. She's doing Aww. good. She's or Maybe even for her demon, actually, because, yeah, they're just... The, the duo, the pair. It's, yeah. If it's for one of them, it's for both of them. Yeah. They do, they're done good this week. What about you? Who's yours for? Mine's for Balthamos, just because he's got a little bit of his sass back and I like it. Mm-hmm. He does. I'm rooting for him. It's sad times that we've had Balthamos in this chapter, but nobody has kind of been nice to him or mentioned Baruch yeah. at all. I, is is yeah. it just going to be one of those things where now... Yeah, we're just never going to hear about Baruch again now. I hope, I hope we get to hear. Otherwise, I'll be protesting about it every single week. Yeah, Sam. Sam, 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 Sam. Good chapter. I liked that chapter. I did like it a lot. It was the kind of chapter that made me skip ahead three chapters and just skim to look for people's names to be like, you're not going to pull some bullshit on me, are you, Phil? You're not going to send me back to Mary because I know I love Mary and I want to know what's happening with her, but you (laughs) better not send me back to Mary right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get that. I get that. No, it was a good chapter. I enjoyed it. I, I loved Mrs. Coulter in that chapter. Might be one of my favourite Coulter chapters, actually. Mm-hmm. It's a great Coulter chapter. I've missed having Mrs. Coulter around as a villain and as mm-hmm. just a character to analyse because she's so interesting. There's so much depth to her. And I have kind of missed that because we've just generally had quite a lot of either completely dog shit characters like Father Gomez or completely absolutely brilliant and we love them characters like Mary. Yeah, we've had a lot of one way or the other, and it's really nice to have that grey area back with Mrs. Mm. Coulter and be like, "Do we trust her? I don't know." Big C energy in the house. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely love it, love it. Speaking of awards and rewards, as always, we are still running our little review competition, competition, prize draw, whatever you want to call it, uh, where if you leave us a review, preferably a positive one, definitely a positive one, 
and screenshot it and send it to us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. That screenshot in an email is your entry into a prize draw where when we get to the all important 50 reviews we will pull out 10 names from a hat and nine of you will get super fun hdm pod bookmarks they're super lovely they're shiny we love them and one lucky person will get an up-to-date sticker merch pack with the season stickers for seasons one and two and some other fun stickers and stuff too whoop yes please give us five stars say all the nice things we love to see it love to hear it just you know just tell us you love us and we'll appreciate you forever so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk If you want to support us you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Fear, and when I'm not talking about my love for Mrs. Coulter, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here deep diving into tiny snippets at the beginning of chapters, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over on my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye-bye. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 B